When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I've known Marcy for a long time. Um, we've referred girls to her program, women to her program. When we have, uh, look, the Rose House uh, is an incredible organization. I've known them for a long time. And I was just, first time I saw, I saw them was, was even before you guys opened was the first uh, so I know Marcy's story, and she's just offered to tell it here for families. Um, this is a powerful one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hush up, maybe interject with questions every now and then. But your your story is a game changer story, and it's it's one of the stories that uh, well, I'm just gonna stop there. And uh, so thank you, Marcy, uh, not only for the Rose House, but for uh, for the work you've done because of your life. Uh, a gift to me. So um, when my daughter was 16 years old, she was given an ecstasy pill as a gift on her 16th birthday. And we were having a sweet 16 birthday party at my home. There were probably 30 kids there. And uh, she had talked to me a month before about ecstasy. And she said, a lot of my friends are doing ecstasy. And so I wonder what you know about it. Well, you know, when I was younger, I, I did drugs. I did acid and LSD. I was just kind of in that, that age where it was, um, you know, high school in the 70s, right. where many of us, you know, did those kinds of things. So I didn't want to lie to her, of course. I don't believe that lying to our children is good because they, they'll find out, you know, and then they won't be able to trust you. So when she asked me about it, I said, you know, it's not made in a laboratory by a pharmacist and you don't know what you're going to get. Right. So I would recommend that you stay away from it just because of that. <clears throat> she said to me, oh, I heard that it makes you horny and I don't want to experience that, so I'm not going to take it. So anyway, the night of her 16th birthday party, I saw a line of, of uh, people outside the bathroom door upstairs so I went up and said what's going on and they said that Brittany was in there my daughter's name is Brittany Rose Brittany's in there with a friend of hers named Audrey and they're having a conversation well that day when Brittany and I were shopping she had told me that her friend Audrey had um, her feelings hurt because she felt like Brittany wasn't spending as much time with her as she wanted her to so I wasn't surprised that they were in the bathroom talking but about 15 minutes later, Audrey came out of the bathroom and another girl went in. So I went to the bathroom door and knocked on it and said, look, you, you gotta unlock the door. And they did, and Brittany was sitting on the floor of the bathroom, Indian style. She, was, she had water all over, she was soaked with water and she was guzzling water, kind of pouring it on her and drinking it. 
and she looked up at me and her eyes were really dilated. So I knew just from looking at her, because I know what it looks like, um, that she was under the influence of something. So I asked her friends, what did she take? And they said she took ecstasy. And I said, who else took it? And they told me the other two girls that had taken it. And so I went and found them. They were fine. They weren't acting like Brittany was. Brittany acted very intoxicated. She was slurring a word. She, and the only thing she kept saying over and over is, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Mom. So I called 911. And because she didn't smell like alcohol, and and the way she was acting wasn't drunk, right? So I called 911 and they came and came in, the sheriff department got there first and they started lecturing her about the dangers of doing drugs and again she kept saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry and then the ambulance got there and she was able to walk down the stairs, she got on the gurney, we went into the ambulance and she started having seizures at that point. So we got to the hospital and they said they need, needed to do a medically induced coma um, so she would be still enough to do a brain scan because they said that what happens with this drug is that if they drink too much water then they get what is called um, hyponatremia which is brain swelling. So they wanted to make sure there wasn't any brain swelling because if there was brain swelling they could do something about it. So they put her in a coma and came out and said no brain swelling she'll be fine and she'll wake up the next morning. Well the next morning she didn't wake up the next morning she didn't wake up and five days later she was still in a coma and and I could tell that she was um, you know that she wasn't gonna make it. The doctors had been telling me that for a couple of days but you know the last thing you want to give up as a mom is hope right? hang on to hope as long as you can. But eventually it got to the point where I, I said, all right, you know, I see that there's no more hope. And we took her off of life support. Well, at that time, I was teaching at the university um, and I was in private practice. And the private practice I was in was called Louisville Teen Counseling. So I was working with teenagers and their families. So when Brittany died, I felt like I can't even cope keep my own daughter alive for Pete's sakes you know I have no business working with families and other teenagers so I closed the business down moved it went into um, moved it to a different location and I just wanted to work with adults and um, couples and I don't mean like this happened right away it didn't happen right away you know it took me probably a year before I before I went back to work again I didn't go back to, I had to quit teaching that semester because literally I could not get out of bed I couldn't figure out how to walk on the earth without her right, right. and so anyway when I opened a private practice again instead of getting adults and couples these young women kept showing up in my practice I did not want to treat young women you know it was too it was traumatizing and I felt totally inadequate to deal with to to help them so um, but it kept happening and what I was noticing it is that it was young women who had experienced things like being molested being raped and they also were abusing substances and I really believed that it was important for them to go to a treatment center that was a dual diagnosis treatment center meaning that they could get treatment for any trauma that they had any depression any anxiety as well as a substance abuse. 
So I looked around to refer clients to um, to that kind of a place. Right. I flew to California, toured facilities, and every place that I saw seemed more like a uh, expensive babysitting service. You know, gals were sitting on the couch in the middle of the day watching soap operas, and being charged, and the families were being charged a lot for these services. So at the time. Um, I had been divorced right after Brittany died. I got divorced. My son was, um, he, he had moved out and was on his own, you know. And so I lived in a small four-bedroom house and like 1,700 square feet. And three of the bedrooms were empty. So I thought, you know what? If I can't find one, then I guess I have to create one. So I put bunk beds in the other three bedrooms, started out with six beds, and I was the uh, chief cook and bottle washer, as I say. <laughs> and I was doing the individual counseling with the women. I hired a part-time certified addiction counselor to do some groups. I was doing groups, taking them to the gym every morning, taking them to the outside 12-step meetings every evening, you know, eating, breathing, and sleeping these, you know, the, these women to help them. And so I went to two 30-day treatment centers that were in Colorado at the time. And at the model at the time was they would go to a 30-day treatment center and then come to the Rose House so we could work on the underlying Secondary issues. Secondary care. Right, exactly. And so um, as time went by, and it wasn't very much time, I mean, I went to two treatment centers and said, this is what I'm doing. And, and it really took on a life of its own. My first client was from Texas. She was referred from her family counselor in Texas. Heaven knows how they ever heard about me because I didn't do any advertising. I didn't buy, I didn't have a website. I didn't, so I, of course I didn't buy AdWords or, or anything. But the Rose House really, it took on a life of its own. So before I knew it, I was full and there were still women that needed help. So I started looking for another place to move to that was larger. And so I was looking on Craigslist because I certainly I couldn't afford to buy a place, so I needed to rent a place. The first place that I rent, went, went to to tour, I said what I was going to do there. It was a very large home. And the guy said, oh, we don't want your kind in my home, right? And so the second place I went to, the guy said, oh, well, ha well I'll let you rent it, but I'm going to double the asking price for rent. So the third place that I went to, there was the owner was sitting on the porch. It was a beautiful home. I mean, a gorgeous setting and a big porch and just a gorgeous place. If you could fall in love with a house, I immediately fell in love with that house. So I walked up on the porch. The guy stuck out his hand and he said, um, Marcy, I'm so glad to see you again. And I said, do I know you? Like He didn't look familiar to me at all. He said, I heard you tell your story at my home AA group. And I've wondered all, you know, the last two years, what, whatever happened to you. And we'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing incredible drink to hand out to other people to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of guayaki yerba mate and brain recovery brain building i could i could spend an entire episode which i did by the way with one of the co-founders david carr so go listen to that beyond risk and back episode 
And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate, and you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. Is this place that uh, the gentleman was sitting on the porch? and saying you told your story at my home group. Is this a place that you still currently are? So we're still there now, and it's been 11 years since we, since we moved in there. He said, you know, I raised um, three daughters of my own, and, and he said, you know, I think I built this house for you. Each of the bedrooms were a master bedroom suite, so each of the bedrooms had bathrooms, huge walk-in closets. I mean, it was ideal for what we needed to do. So I moved into the house with the women, and then, and then again, it just kept growing and growing, and I kept hiring staff, and all the staff that I was hiring were master's level or PhD, and I and hiring support staff to, you know, take them to meetings at night, you know, et cetera. I still took them to the gym every day because I love that part of it. But, so that was back in 2007 when I first started it, and I named it the Rose House after my daughter, Brittany Rose. And um, we went into primary treatment because we had the staff to be able to do primary. So they didn't sure need to go someplace else before they came to the Rose House. So we had six, so we started with 16 beds in the, in the main Rose House. The women would come to us, recommended length of stay is three months. Any, anywhere from 18 to 80. I mean, we had a client that was in her 80s at one point, but every decade, I think that that's really helpful because the thing that they have in common, the common denominator, is trauma, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. So that's the great equalizer. So um, over the years, of course, I eventually moved out and now have a full-time 24-hour staff and, you know, I just can't tell you the, um, what a blessing it is to do this work because we watch women walk in the door who are broken, yeah. you know, hopeless, who have been through multiple treatment programs, different kind of treatment programs, therapists, um, you know, DBT groups, lots of things, and they haven't been able to maintain substance uh free from substance use and have the skills necessary to get through an anxiety attack, for example, without reaching for a, you know, a joint or a um, benzodiazepine or something along those lines and watch them as they, as they, you know, progress through the program. And when they graduate, we take a picture of them when they get there and then we take a picture of them when they graduate. And it's like looking at two different people. You know, you can see when the light comes on. You know, I'll go in and I'll look at a woman and she's been there like three or four weeks and I'll look in her eyes and go, no, not yet. 
You can tell just by looking at them. And then the light goes on, and the light always goes on. So I got a couple questions now. Um, I love your story. I love, and I was telling you in the commercial, like how similar the experience is, how organically it starts, how we right. did this in our own homes, how we were the cook, the group leader, went to the gym. Right. We were at weekend warriors and nooners right. every single, and then we found the young young persons group there in Boulder right. at St. Andrew's Church. Like you just, you use the resources of the community and then right. little, now you got an intern, now you got this, and now you got this, and pretty soon, we moved out and, right. and you have 24 hour staff and on right. and on um, so my first question is why just women what what is it, it, it because you know men need this and between you and I right. uh, I'm a co-ed facility for for children we're, right. we're in different parts of the market but there are a million men's only groups right but for you why just yeah. women well, I'm a psychologist by education, so I'm so I look at research. That's what I was trained to do, you know, look right. at the research, and the research shows that um, treatment is much more effective if it's gender specific. Now, why? What I've seen is that if there are men around, the women respond differently because they are concerned about what the men are thinking about them. Right. They they don't focus. Um, as much on their own treatment, they can't go as deep about their trauma if men are in the in the room when they're doing the work. Um, the distraction is huge. You know, we don't even allow our women to talk to men at 12-step meetings. I mean, we don't allow it. <clears throat> the number one before we made before we implemented that. And, and all the guidelines we implemented based upon the need because, you know, I don't like making rules, I don't like enforcing rules, and I really don't like following rules Yeah, you're not much. a big rule follower there. <laughs> exactly. So, but, but what was happening is that women were meeting men in 12-step meetings and then sneaking out of the window. That's the 13th step, isn't That's it? That's right? exactly right. That's right. And they would leave treatment, you know, because of it. So... Now, like, you're not even allowed to talk to a guy at a 12-step at a group. And if we see, we'll come up and say, hey, we'll tell the guy, you know what? It's a guy lined at the Rose House. They can't have a conversation with you right now. So um, the, the women think differently than men. Women bond differently than men. Women bond one-on-one -on -one or small groups. Men are part of a team, right? Football team, basketball team. Whatever it is, they, they bond differently, they think differently, they respond differently. Our, our uh, cultural norms are different for men than for women. Yeah. So because they experience the world differently, they, they need to learn skills specific to who they are as women, you know, which may work for men also, but they're going to be distracted if a, if a guy is there. So... I, I'm, a, I'm a, just a really strong believer in gender-specific treatment. And more men or males reach out for treatment than females. Why is that? I think it's because it is still more socially acceptable for a man, for example, to be drunk. It's not socially acceptable to, to have a woman who's drunk. Um, it is women feel like they need to be home and taking care of the family and and the men are you know w w when they go into treatment they just have to leave work right, right. the women have to leave their children they right. have to figure out how right. the house is going to run without them so 
but women's disease can also progress further before they get treatment than men because oftentimes the woman is in the house, right? So she can take the kids to school, come home, you know, pick up a bottle of wine, start drinking it, and it, and it doesn't come to a crisis point as quickly as it does for men. One of the things that, that we see when, uh, you know, you talk about the light coming on mm-hmm. and, and someone saying, all right, I'm going to do this. One of our telltales with the girls in the facility is when they come down the stairs in the morning without makeup and they participate right. in the milieu and they haven't dressed right. up, they haven't, they're wearing <laughs> right. their sweats, no makeup. That's right. And certainly our boys know better than to mention anything right. because if they do, they end up in the room with a counselor saying, why on earth would you think that that was, but that's the moment where the girl goes, I don't care right. on this on the outside. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to do the inside. Absolutely. And it's, it's beautiful to see it and it's celebrated in the house. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you, because, because your program is gender specific, how do you teach the, the women to reintegrate back into the dating world, back into their home lives, back in with their marriage, you know, because I, I get the healing piece so much. Right, I, I truly right. do. How do you do the integration piece? So beginning the third month of treatment at the Rose House, there's a phase called the transition phase. Okay. As the month progresses, they get more and more freedom. We have two step-down houses that women can go move into after they I didn't know you guys had added the step-down houses. Congratulations. And so we have 27 beds now altogether. Okay. And so if, if they are going to stay in the area, and we encourage them to, particularly younger women, women who are not married, do not have children, right. that, that it's really important for them to continue on. And so in the transition phase, then they can start doing overnights okay. at one of the step-down houses. They go to outside 12-step meetings with the gals who are already in the, the transition homes. We do family therapy. We have family intensive weekends at the Rose House for three days, invite families in to experience the kind of therapy that the client is is getting and to also do some intensive family therapy as well. <clears throat> so you can't treat an individual alone without right. treating their family right. because they're going back into the family system. So hopefully you know, we do everything we can other than demand that if they want their loved one in treatment, they have to do the, the, the family therapy, but we strongly encourage that. And then they, ha- they get a job within the last two weeks of their three months at the Rose House. Sometimes it's four. It's not only dependent upon time, it also depends upon the work that they've done, what they've completed. And there are certain things that they absolutely have to complete before they can go on to the next phase of treatment. So then at the step-down house, once they move into the step-down house, they still have four groups a week that they attend, an individual therapy session a week, UAs and breathalyzers um, on a regular basis, curfew checks every night. They have to be working at least 20 hours a week. We don't like them to work 40 because there's a lot of outside things that they have to do. Right. 12 right. step meetings every night, have a sponsor, meet with a sponsor. So, so it's kind of a, a in between. And then when they're ready to, to move from the from the step-down house, 
then they, we do that gradually with them too, depending upon where they're moving back into. What type, you know, I'm assuming there's some job skills and, and life skills and things like that going on. And, and, I, and I say I assume that because in, in men's specific programs, we are still talking about sometimes 30-year-old boys who still don't know how to do their own damn right. laundry. Right, that's <laughs> and right. That's, and, and it's assumption to say that girls do know right. how to do this stuff. Right. But what, type of, what types of things are happening in a day at the Rose House? So um, all the women do their own laundry. If they don't know how, we teach them. They take turns making dinner for the entire house, two people at a time. Wow. Women who don't know how to cook, we pair them with somebody that does. And everybody has to, I mean, it has to rotate. Everybody has to participate in the, in the meals. There are chores that they have to do. Um, they have to keep their own space clean. And then there are household chores that they have to do. We do bring in cleaning, uh, cleaning ladies um, once a week, but they only clean the common areas, not the bedrooms. Right. And so if um, when they move into to the step-down house, if they don't know how to do things like balance their checkbook, yeah. we teach them. Okay. You know, so, so the skills that we teach them at that point are really based upon the needs of the client because they're all across the board. Yeah, like you said, you're 18 to 80. Like, right. that's amazing. Yeah. So you're dealing with people who've had families and they've been doing their kids' laundry, for right. crying out loud. That's right. And, right. and young girls, um, young women. Um, what's, what's next? What are, what are you guys moving into? What's Are you as a steady as she goes and just solidify the ship? Or do you have a, open up a new facility? What's happening? You know... Right now, out of our 27 beds, we only have one bed open, wow. and that's a concern for me because um, I want to make sure that we have enough room all the time, right. right? So we're talking about that. Like, what do we do? Do we, do we, uh, well, right now I'm excited to say that I'm actually in the process of buying the Rose House that we've been renting that's all amazing. these years. Congratulations, Marcy. Thank you. We're really excited about that. And so then, you know, do we buy another facility, you know, maybe the house, house next door, you know, like how are we going to expand? Right. Because there's obviously, you know, again, we still don't do any advertising. We have a website, but we don't do, um, we don't do any advertising. We're still all word of mouth. We have women that come all from all across the country. We have a gal that's coming tomorrow morning from Maui. For example, we have had women from Alaska. I mean, they come from all over. Probably half of our clients come from out of out, out, of, out of state. Yeah. And you guys work with insurance? We do. So we are out of network provider with insurance. So we check the benefits um, of the people that have insurance, and we can tell the family exactly what their out-of-pocket cost is going to be. Right. And they pay it by the month. They have to pay their deductible right. and a and certain percent of their copay. Marcy, like I said, I've always we've always side by side we've both bu yeah. built these right. these organizations around the same time. Um, it's it's been amazing, and not not just to watch you, but to to be around the success of the Rose House. And I, I'm happy to tell uh, listeners and everything, you're our number one recommendation for women. And we've had uh, girls who've graduated Fire Mountain and have stumbled and fallen into the 35 steps of relapse, right. which the number one step of relapse is missing a meal. Let's, let's make sure. <laughs> right. And the, the success uh, that she has had at the Rose House, she has her life back. She has right. freedom. She has responsibility. She has her life. Right. Um, and, and we love her. She's been Bear Tribe, but now 
and just knowing that to, to know that from us she could go to you and really get from you what we couldn't give her right. is just amazing. And so we, I love everything you guys do. What's the website so that, that people can find you? So it's www.rosehousecolorado.com and Colorado is all spelled out. Rosehousecolorado.com. And my cell phone number is on the website. Okay. Marcy, thank you so much for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Your story is powerful and potent. And that really is that the wound becomes the way, the problem becomes the path, right. the tears become the trail. That's right. Like that's right. that's the gift that, that you brought. Right. And you've been saving women's lives for two decades now, and it's it's amazing. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.